Hey everyone, today's podcast, I have Mike Messier joining me for a conversation. He is a an actor, filmmaker, and now an author. Uh, he has a book that's recently come out that I actually read. Uh, he also has a cool documentary on YouTube that you can watch for free, and you can subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, Mike was uh, fun to talk to, and I hope that you enjoy it, Uh, and I look forward to seeing what comes next with Mike and his films and books and everything like that. Um, Good guy, fun conversation. Uh, we, we, we delve into a little bit of conspiracy theory talk from, uh, from my YouTube channel. Uh, so <laughs> we, we kind of bounced across the board. He, he's relocated to Florida, so we talk a little bit about that and uh, touch a little bit on, on depression, which I guess has kind of been a, a theme of mine lately. <laughs> so uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, as you should know by now, I am now on... I think any podcast platform that I've heard of, uh, Apple, Google, mainly Spotify. Most of my traffic has come through Spotify. Uh, please give me a subscription. If you listen on Apple or if you just have an iPhone and want to go on the Apple Podcasts, give me a five-star rating and write a review about how awesome I am. That makes a big difference, I am told. So, hope you enjoy it. Give me uh, give me a little bit of help by uh, subscribing and uh, rating. Uh, and if you want to check this out, I think I'm going to be able to post the video from this one on YouTube as well. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel if you would like. It probably won't be too busy, but I think I'm going to keep it just in case I ever get a, another lettuce-only chalupa or possibly for some stand-up that I might... Uh, throw up on there, depending on when I get up on stage next. So that's about all I have. I will be back to wrap things up. Hope you enjoy it. All right, Mike Messier joins the podcast. Thanks for coming, Mike. How are you? I'm doing good, Jeff. It's uh, great to talk to you and great to meet you and talk about my book, my doc, and anything else you want to talk about. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you uh, sending me uh, a copy of the book and the uh, the link to the documentary. That kept me uh, entertained the last couple days. <laughs> the- I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. You know, that, that documentary we're talking about, Disregard the Vampire, a Mike Messier documentary, all of uh, Jeff's fans can check that out on YouTube for free. It's uh, 39 minutes and 58 seconds. Once again, the title is Disregard the Vampire, a Mike Messier documentary, and YouTube's got it for you, so please check it out, folks, and subscribe to my channel if you can, and uh, please do, and I'm happy to have more people join the fun. Yeah, and it's a, I, the thing I loved about it, and I don't want to spoil it by going too too deep into it, but the thing I loved about it was 39 minutes, that's, that's the digestible documentary size. When they go right. super long, I, I lose interest. Um, yeah. So it, 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 kept me, it kept me engaged the whole time. 
Um, and and then the book too. And the funny thing is, and and I don't know if you have personal experience with this or not. Early on in the book, uh, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, the situation where there's the divorced dad who's got kids but not with them that night and he's looking for something to do that was me the last couple nights so 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 you Uh fill the void there (laughs) so i just while i was reading it i'm like this is is this meta i don't know what i'm in the book yes Yes. you you actually caught the emotions very well of how it's like i i I don't know what i'm (laughs) yeah well i'll tell you jeff you know the thing is that was i i grew up um, the child of divorce, mm. a child, not the, but a child of divorce. My parents were divorced when I was 13. They didn't have a great relationship. As far as I can remember, they might've before I was around or who knows, but so I did think in terms of, you know, my dad moved out and he moved into a condo on his own. And, uh, you know, there's differences obviously between the fictional world and, and real life. You know, I grew up with just a, a singular sister, and I had step relatives, step stepbrother, and stepsister later on. But the character of Joe Humble has twin daughters and a son, and he he misses the whole deal. He misses his wife, he misses the twin daughters, he misses the son, and he's also separated. He's not quite divorced. He's going through going through a divorce with hope on his end to reclaim the marriage, and that's kind of what brings us to meet his coworker Shadow, who's a younger female and. She's very sexy and, and, and brings them out on the night in the town. So there you go. Yeah, and that uh, you, you, hit, you hit the uh, emotional part of that very well. And the book also, that's Distance from Avalon, which I think you can buy at distancefromavalon.com. Yeah, distancefromavalon.com. And the, the, uh, the exact title is A Distance from Avalon, When the Dying and the Dead Reunite by Mike Messier. And it's on Amazon. And so if people put uh, a distance, just the word a, and then distance from Avalon, when the dying and the dead reunite uh, by Mike Messier, they should find it. And if, if they have a trouble with that, they can go to the website, distance without the a, distancefromavalon.com. And uh, kind of like the doc, you said it's thirty nine fifty eight. it's digestible. Mm-hmm. The, the novel is uh, 97 pages, I think, on paperback and Kindle, so it's also digestible. How long did it take you to read it, Jeff? I would say less than two hours. I mean, Perfect. and that's, yeah, that's, that is my, my same thing. I mean, I'll be honest. I've read, counting this, I think I've read three fiction novels in the past 15 years. Right. Uh, high school kind of ruined reading for me, and I've only recently started go, venturing right. back into the, into the fiction side of things. My my little brother wrote a book, and I haven't even read that. I read about forty pages, and it was fantasy, which isn't quite up my alley. So I <laughs> gave that one up too. Even, so. I hear you, man. And you know what? The thing is, I've I've been talking about this on my YouTube channel, Jeff. Even though I'm a YouTube content creator like yourself, I I feel like watching a lot of YouTube videos, watching gifts, tweets. Everything in our culture that's so bang, 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 it, it's making it difficult for me to enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. And it was only like eight or nine years ago, I really got into reading again myself. And in the last two or three years, I've kind of phased out, but I'm trying to get back into it. You know what I mean? So it's interesting. Yeah, I, I think you're on to something there with everything being so fast paced and, and instant. Uh, reading is a, a lost art. I mean, it's... I, I I know people still read, but uh, <laughs> it seems yeah. like less and less. 
Well, I feel honored to be part of the big three. I don't know if you remember the other authors or books that you read in the last 15, but I, I'm now you got me curious who are the other I, two I, books. One is uh, called Running the Light, and that came out last year. It's by a comedian, Sam Talent, and it it's a fictional road comic. Uh, and I'm... I loved that book because I'm at a very ancient age for for trying to enter the comedy world. That's what I'm trying not not be a road comic, but uh, I'm trying to break into comedy. Uh, so I loved reading that, where it was kind of the nitty gritty. I think it was only a week uh, in the in the novel that got covered. So that one was uh, a lot of comedians love that book, and uh, I'm I think I'm fortunate in reading that that I'm never going to be a road comic. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. Hey, Jeff, real quick. I noticed, are we recording on Zoom, too? Is that something you want to do? Oh, um, let me see here. Because I don't know if we are or not. On my end, it doesn't look like it, but I could be wrong. Let me click on it and see. I had it earlier, but I may have turned it off. It says recording. My bad. Okay. It it is recording now. I don't know what was going on before. I uh, I may have stopped it on accident when I was letting you in. We can do another intro. We go, uh, it's it's uh, Jeff. I say your name, Macalino. Macalino. Jeff Macalino, right? Yep, nailed it. And uh, Jeff Macalino and Mike Messier discussing Mike's book, uh, "Distance from Avalon: When the Dying and the Dead Reunite." We're available on Amazon and Kindle and paperback. And uh, the the forty minute doc that Jeff watched that I did called uh, "Disregard the Vampire" Mike Messier documentary. So whether we're starting new or for continuing, either way, we got it covered, man. Yes, yeah, I'll throw this up on, uh, I, I post the audio only, but I'll, I'll, assuming I can figure out the technical side, which I should be able to, I'll get this on YouTube also, so we can... Yeah, man, that'd be awesome. Get them, get them both ways. Um, so, going back to the documentary, uh, <laughs> I, I, I loved it, and it, it not only covered the Disregard the Vampire effort, but it covered kind of the ones that... <laughs> didn't get made prior to that um and again i don't i don't want to spoil it but uh it's i guess can you put into words how hard is it to actually pull off filming a feature film it's very hard especially you know you know what the great lubricant is is the green the green lubricant is money Mm -hmm. and when you're trying to make projects that are pretty ambitious and Specifically, we're talking about Chris and the Coffee Girl, Wrestling with Sanity, and American Luchador. There are three projects I'd still love to make, even to this day, Jeff. Um, and the idea of this documentary was really a call to action to myself. It was a gut check to myself. And to be honest, other filmmakers as well. And when I made it, I was really thinking about me and what are these obstacles that are, are challenging me. And I, and I say it kind of at the beginning. And just so you know, I don't mind um spoiling a little bit of it because i figure that if people are are tempted by our conversation to watch the documentary then it's fine i don't mind giving stuff away people can always pause this conversation go watch the doc and come back if they're that into it if they're that intrigued so the basic idea of the documentary is that i started off making a vampire narrative for a very small budget like five thousand dollars and try to make a feature film for five grand is 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 a pretty ambitious thing, but we were actually doing pretty well until our lead actor bailed on us after we started filming the movie. And uh, of course he had his reasons or what he gave us his reasons. And it was very upsetting and, and traumatic quite honestly, because we had scheduled all these people. And when I say all these people, we're talking about other actors. We're talking about the venue, which was 
uh, a very expensive venue to rent, but we got a great deal on it. I mean, an unbelievable deal. And we had people volunteering. We had college students volunteering. We had other actors that were taking time out of their college uh, tests and stuff. So we had a lot of stuff going on. And for this actor to not be there really threw a monkey wrench into things. And we were able, miraculously, to get a rock and roll singer to step in who hadn't done any acting since high school, which was at least 20 years for him. And that guy was great. So it was almost like, oh, my God, I wish we had this guy for a month to rehearse and to do all these wonderful things. But we didn't have that opportunity. And then, as, as is explained in the doc, there was considerations with the weather, with the, like, the equipment, like many, many, many independent films and even probably major motion pictures. Audio became an issue. And all of these things that were seemingly attacking us, uh, I felt like somehow we got some great art made. And at the end of the day, I felt we did capture some great scenes. Uh, the editor, the original editor for the piece, Chris Hunter, uh, said that we didn't have enough to really make the, the narrative. And so that was upsetting because I had taken people's investment money to make this thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't just my money. Some other people threw in some money and their time. So I felt the gut check came in that I had to do something. This, this footage had to do something. And then I thought, well, the real story to me, even as the director of this project, was not the script that had been written. It was the fact that people kept showing up. People kept showing up day after day, you know, for six days to be a part of this movie. And even though we didn't have our lead actor, the other three actors were still there. Even though we didn't have our supposed lead actor, the crew was coming. And once we got adjusted to the new lead actor, Scorpio, who was a great guy, people started saying, oh, my God, this guy's pretty damn good. He's probably better. He is better than the other guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so and he was a better fit because he was a guy that we all got along with. There was no ego. He was happy to be there and we were happy to have him. But even that consideration, it's like you see sometimes in football, you know, the, the, the lead quarterback gets injured and the team rallies around the, the backup quarterback. And maybe they win their first game, but when they get three or four games deep into the season, that's when other teams make their, you know what I mean? So uh, adjustments. So we were we were kind of fighting that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I said, I have to tell the story of the people coming together and rallying around this project, whether it was because of me, whether it was because of their, their own feeling of let's just see what the hell happens. That could have been it. People just want to see what's going to happen. Sure. Or... You know, they want to see things to fruition because there is a hunger to create things. And and there you go. No, I, I and I love that. It's funny that I I think people take it for granted and, and think that it's – and I've been guilty of this. I don't have much uh, film experience at all. I did a Friends uh, college uh, film 50, 13 years ago when and it took eight hours of filming to do a six minute video <laughs> so, and i was right. getting a little impatient even like how many times do i have to do this but I, I even today you know i've worked on comedy dark comedy screenplays and i i've i thought i'm never gonna probably be able to sell this i could just get a bunch of people to get no that's not how it works it's not that easy to just call up a few friends ask a few favors and and actually produce a feature film. Right, right. And in the doc, too, the Disregard of the Vampire Mike Messier documentary, people can see that I had success making one feature film, Blood Sugar Sid Ace, which has its own website, bloodsugarsidace.com. People 
could watch the whole movie right there for free once again. And even with that experience, where did that you know twelve thousand dollar budget came from? About three or four thousand of that came from my my partner Tim Labonte. Uh, but the rest of it was for me uh, that came from a car accident. I got hit by a drunk driver, and the money from that car accident funded the film. You know, <laughs> and, and I, I say jokingly that Blood Sugar Sedes was was filmed with blood money, my blood. You know what I mean? So there you go. Literally. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and and now this uh, this documentary's one is it ten awards now? Yeah, it's won ten awards, and it's it's one I believe. Uh, three or four um, awards as a best horror documentary or a best documentary. Uh, the the tabloid witch awards I think was our most recent award. They gave us sent me a really nice black, really cool uh, people at tabloid witch. Uh, the Shaughnessy Film Festival up in uh, Sturbridge and Worcester, Mass, has been a big supporter of this project. and won a best doc there. I believe we won. Um, uh, I think it was Alternative Film Festival gave it like a. A poster award and and even the promotional uh, photo of the two actresses uh, Gina Madison and Anna Rizzo won a an award. So when I say ten awards, it, there's like four for the actual doc. I think two or three for the promotional photo. One for the the trailer has actually won an award, and like the film posters won an award. Hmm. And I I think uh, I've won thirty seven awards total in film and television. And and no, these are not Oscar awards or anything like that. But I'm happy to win all these awards. It, it, it's a good networking thing. It's a good way to meet people. It makes you feel good. It gives you validation. Is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, the, the 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 doc overall has won ten awards. Nice, nice. Yeah, and you deserve recognition for it. I mean, it's you know, it, it, it's thanks. Not not everything needs to be an Oscar. <laughs> well, hey, I, I I'm still alive, and and the 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 key line at the end of the doc, if and and sometimes I get a little upset because even at a screening. If the movie plays, I, I did one of those things where you add a little bumper at the end of the end credits. So if people click off during the end credits, they won't see the bumper. But what I say at the very end of uh, Disregard the Vampire Mike Messier documentary is there's still hope as long as I'm still breathing. You can only let people down for so long. And and I'm, I mean that, you know, and it's not only letting in, in the way that I was feeling at the time, letting down everybody that had been a part of this thing, expecting to get a narrative. They didn't sign up for a doc. I didn't go into this movie trying to make a doc, but here it is. And but the other idea is, is as you so well pointed out, Jeff, Chris and the Coffee Girl put four years into that. Uh, my friend Teresa Michelazzo and, and I really put a lot of time into Chris and the Coffee Girl. Wrestling with Sanity. You know, a lot of people rallied around Wrestling with Sanity. My friend Mary DeBerry has really tried to help me for years. Uh, she's in the doc as a script supervisor, but on all these projects. She's kind of been an unofficial script consultant for Chris and the Coffee Girl, Wrestling with Sanity. There's a lot of people that I feel, and maybe it's just my own sense of ego, maybe they're not counting on me, but they're pulling for me to be successful. And until I'm successful to the point that I feel that I've honored their belief in me, I don't feel good about myself. Uh, There's a, a lot of terrain in this doc that's covered about the struggle for validation, whether that's exterior validation, interior validation, the world giving you the pat on the back. I mean, I have a theory, Jeff, that what the world in general tends to be missing at this time in our history is uh, daddy's seal of approval. You know, we, we, I think most people, or many people, I won't say most, but many 
have mommy's love, but what we're missing is daddy's slap on the back, you know, at a boy kid. And I think that what happens with these independent films, at least in my contention is I've often been someone uh, who's a director and I'm giving that validation to people, whether they're actors, actresses, uh, crew members, uh, I'm giving that daddy's validation. And as an actor, a lot of times I'm the actor, I'm getting that daddy's validation from somebody else because for whatever reason in our culture, uh, dad's slap on the back or at a boy seems to be lacking. Yeah, no, I, I I actually can recognize that. Not not in myself, fortunately for me. I've got uh, overly supportive parents, probably more than they, they should. <laughs> right. But, but uh, no, I, I can see that in society for sure. What, yeah. Was wrestling with sanity, was that... the? There was one part in the documentary that kind of cracked me up, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if you was that ahead, where you had the issue with Raven. Yeah, Raven, the pro wrestler Raven, man. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I like Raven a lot. I mean, and Raven, I think, was just he had enough of me. Like by the time, like the timing was bad because by the he was also he explained to me a few years later he was suffering through 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 two bad shoulders. So here he is, he's still wrestling, he's trying to do this independent film, and he's got two shoulders that were literally killing him in pain, and he's dealing with this guy, and it was just a thing where we made this road trip, me and Tim, and we had some of this money uh, left over from Blood Sugar Sudase from this car accident settlement I mentioned, and the, the idea is let's go to, let's leave Rhode Island, Raven's coming up from Atlanta, to Philadelphia for this extreme reunion wrestling show in 2012 and we'll rent a hotel room we'll get Raven we'll get a conference room make that our studio in the middle of a city that we're not from and we'll have Raven record the voiceovers for Chris and the coffee girl uh, before we film the scenes now Tim to his credit initially said well Mike we've got to film the scenes first and then do Raven's voiceovers second and then for whatever reason, maybe Tim thought, well, hell, I can get a, a road trip out of this adventure. <laughs> Tim said, well, we can try it. So uh, we tried it. Unfortunately, it wasn't terribly successful. We did get some hilarious footage. We got about two minutes of, of Raven tearing me up that's used in this doc. <laughs> yes. I'm thinking about releasing all of that footage at some point because I've got about two, uh, the two minutes that you saw in Disregard the Vampire with Raven, I've got about two hours of that footage. Uh, so that might be released on the Mike Messier YouTube channel, uh, so people can subscribe and be on the lookout for the Raven, the Philadelphia experiment. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the part that uh, that made me laugh. Him him uh, lecturing you on symbolism. <laughs> and He's a smart guy, and the thing is with wrestlers, especially a guy like Raven, who who he'll be the first one to tell you that he's a genius, um, <laughs> and the second one to tell you too. But Raven Raven was seeing holes in the script. Which was great, except we didn't really have the time to deal with that. Like, all I had time to do was capture these voiceovers. And like I said, my partner at the time, Grace McLazo, a strong Latina woman, she was looking for results. She wasn't looking for excuses or script analysis. And here I am trying to get direct Raven, but it was, it was kind of a, a bad first day working together. So I hope that at some point in the future we can do it. Because Raven's a very personal personal guy, and I've seen him since then, and I like Raven a lot. It's Scott Levy is his real name, and he's he's done some great work in films, but uh, he's a cool dude, man. 
Yeah, now you you had said you got a lot of pro wrestlers in that film, didn't you? Well, in Chris and the Coffee Girl, that's another movie that, uh, as talked about in the documentary, hasn't been finished yet. You know, and uh, not it's it's a in the documentary. Disregard the vampire, Mike Messier documentary. Chris and the Coffee Girl, the na- the the narrative put four years into it, and it hasn't been completed. It, it hasn't even been filmed. And the thing that we were trying to do with Raven is capture these voiceovers before we actually film the scenes. But at that, at this point, I've rewritten that script so many times. Uh, my friend Ox Baker and Big Daddy V, who's known, you know, Nelson Frazier or, or Mabel or Viscera, the pro wrestler, he was supposed to be in the movie. And as I discussed in the doc, you know, although briefly, um, because of the, the maybe the societal pressure or what I felt was the societal pressure of the film industry around me, telling me that my method of, of my idea to piecemeal Chris and the Coffee Your Gold together, hey, as we can afford a scene, let's film it. You know, we've got 500 bucks, we've got $2,000, let's get our Ox Baker scene done or let's get our Big Daddy V scene done. But the pressure I was getting from some of the people working with me in this fledgling stage was, no, 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 you've got to raise 50 grand or 100 grand to make the whole movie in one shot. Well, unfortunately, before that could get accomplished, interest starts to wade and quite literally people died. I mean, uh, Nelson Frazier passed away and I I was kicking myself in, in the butt because it's like, you know, he was willing to give me a really good price for his involvement in the movie. And if I had just pushed it together, maybe if we had filmed that scene with Big Daddy V uh, for, for the, you know, whether it was going to cost a thousand bucks or whatever, just get it done. We could have maybe used that as a catalyst to get funding for the rest of the movie. But that idea that I was kind of dealing with is, hey, you've got to do this the right way, the quotes right way. And you've got to get your whole budget before you start filming. Well, maybe 99 times out of 100, that's the way to go. But maybe I should have just done things the way that, I wanted to do things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, do you, do you I, and just, uh, you know, following you on Twitter and, and looking at uh, some of your YouTube content, do you have ins in professional wrestling? Like, uh, or, or just, you know, you reached out to him for these projects? Well, ins and outs. I mean, with Raven, it was kind of me just approaching him through his website like anybody else could do. You know what I mean? And I don't know. that At the time, that was 10 years ago, I originally approached Raven for Wrestling with Sanity. Uh, Big Daddy V actually reached reached out to me. I'm not sure, but I think Maria Canellis might have mentioned it to him because Maria Canellis, who's great, was scheduled to be the the coffee girl at the time for Chris and the Coffee Girl. So um, a lot of times, see, I'm, I'm not afraid to talk to people. I'm not afraid to, especially if I'm trying to offer them something that I think has value. So sure. when I'm when I'm talking to the wrestlers, I'm not going up to them and just asking for an autograph or, or asking them to for for something like that, I'm trying to say, hey, if I were to get you a paycheck, would you be interested in working with me? Uh, that type of thing. And they were pretty open about it. I mean, wrestlers are cool. And, and Raven said it best, you know, not to harp on Raven the whole time, but a life lesson that Raven gave me was, hey, man, and he said this to me, you know, in email. He said, I've gotten about 10 movie projects, uh, you know, approached to me, and about two have actually happened. And that was Raven. And Raven wasn't you know, pissing on me. He was just telling me from his perspective, he puts his name out there. He wants to do movies and about two out of 10 came through. And that's actually a pretty good percentage. If you think about it for the film industry, because the thing with film that will kill projects, it's money, it's logistics, it's timing. 
and when I say logistics, that often means like the human element of scheduling people. You know what I mean? Like you've got 20 people that need to be in the same place at the same time. Try doing that for a barbecue. You know, try getting 20 people over for the Super Bowl and not one or two drop out and say, oh, my wife wanted me to mow the yard or, you know, I stubbed my toe and I had to take a shower or, you know, I had to watch the, the, the season premiere of Curb Your Enthusiasm. You know, try getting 20 people to watch a football game with you on a Sunday afternoon. It's it's You're going to miss one or two people are not going to show up. Um, I don't want to be totally negative, Jeff, on the experience because I have had luck. Like I said, with Blood Sugar Sedace, you know, we made a pretty damn good movie with a very small budget and all the actors always showed up, you know, and my, my producer, uh, partner and DP editor, Tim always showed up and I always showed up, you know what I mean? So there you go. Yeah. So what, uh, I guess, what can we expect on the horizon as far as, uh, film? I, are you making plans on any specific project that hasn't come out yet or, or what, uh, where are you kind of focused now? Well, right now, I, I did uh, help a friend of mine, Aaron Woodson. I'll give him a shout-out. Aaron uh, enlisted my help as a screenwriter, so we did write a piece called Aaliyah and Troy, which is an African-American uh, love story about uh, PTSD. Uh, uh, it's about a veteran who was kind of a lone wolf and has come back from fighting overseas, and he meets a beautiful woman. And Troy's issue is um, Troy's issue is that he's got the PTSD from fighting from fighting in the military and her issue is that she is a single uh, also a, a woman with a child a young daughter named rosa and she hasn't fully divorced from the baby daddy yet mm-hmm. so she's got her issue he's got his issue their issue is kind of conflict because he's got a, a kind of what's that called a, a hairline trigger anger thing if he feels he's being wrong his temper gets the better of him sure and because she hasn't fully broken off from the father of her child it really upsets Troy. So that's Aaliyah and Troy. That thing, we're trying to get going. But I kind of told Aaron, I said, look, man, my real focus is a distance from Avalon, which means that I got this book published, available on Amazon. And for me, the idea is uh, I want people to read the book. I want some excitement behind the book. I've written this thing as a stage play, as a screenplay. I have Avalonia Festival. I created a whole film festival kind of as in honor or related to this project of mine and people actually enter it, uh, which I'm very grateful to, you know, Avalonia festival in a way, the film festival I created in honor of this concept of Avalonia is actually doing better than, than, the, than the movie. Uh, but <laughs> I still want to make a, a distance from Avalon as a film, as a stage play. Hopefully when this COVID thing clears, you know, it can be on stage. It can be filmed. It, it doesn't need a huge budget, uh, Jeff, um, and I think it could also be done on green screen. Quite a bit of it could be done on green screen because most of it takes place in a castle. So I just need different rooms. And I, I basically need four really strong lead actors. So the idea for me right now, Jeff, is with COVID, with all the concerns about social distancing, I wanted to do something for myself artistically that I could do more or less on my own, which is write a book. You know, the only thing I really didn't do with this book was the cover. Uh, Nazar Germanoff contributed the awesome cover. And uh, I think he did a great job with that. And uh, so, you know, I hope people, this is what the book looks like in, in print. And so people are, are uh, I really encourage people if they want to enjoy Disregard the Vampire Mike Messier documentary. Give me a like and subscribe and a click and a share and all that good stuff on YouTube. 
And then if you really feel intrigued, here is the uh, the book right there. You know, and it's you, you know the paperback. Uh, it's pretty pretty modestly priced on Amazon. I believe the price is seven seventy seven. And uh, whatever shipping you have, or if you have Amazon Prime, I'm not sure. Maybe you get a deal on the shipping or whatever. But here is the book. It's on Amazon, and uh, there you go. Yeah, and again, I I recommend it. It's a nice digestible read. And uh, I, you, you're obviously you you know what you're talking about. I I could see it on on screen and on stage. I think it's one of those things that could easily work either or both ways. Thanks. So the and the film festival you mentioned now is that when did you set that up? Is that a physical thing or is that just a uh, with COVID no, an a, online thing? Or well, guess what, Jeff? We will not. You know, I, I said we will not be denied. You know, Avalonia Festival had a live event in 2020. We had a live event with a venue and a screen and a really good audio system and a really great venue. It was at the Frame of Mind Art Gallery. I believe it was November 9th, uh, 2020. It was either the 9th or the 13th. That was our fifth Avalonia Festival. Oh, wow. So that's basically me, and I, I have a great judge, uh, Kazuya, uh, who's a judge. He's a filmmaker who was a, a, a winner of the first, in one of the categories of the first Avalonia Festival, and he wanted to be a judge. So I've got a judge from Japan. Uh, you know, I created the festival. My sister created the logo, uh, Nadine Messier of the Tika Weenie uh, uh, graphics and it's actually her birthday today so I got to call my sister it's her birthday oh it's my um, daughter's birthday <laughs> interesting yeah very cool man how, uh, well that's great yeah uh, how, how old's your daughter Jeff uh, she's 11 that's cool man and um, so you know the, the the thing is Avalonia Festival will have its sixth live event in November of 2021 if people go to Avalonia which is spelled A-V-A-L-O-N-I-A festival uh f-e-s-t-i-v-a-l.com they can enter their short films 21 minutes and under three minutes and under and one minute and under and i've got about 70 different categories uh the thing that's unique about avalonia festival jeff is that every if your film gets accepted into avalonia festival you've won an award you've won your division mm. if if you if you there's no runners-up. There's no third place. A lot of film festivals, and it's fine that they do this, they'll select your film, they'll play your film at their festival, and once you get there, you found out did you win an award or not. With my festival, if you are in the festival, if you got, ex- if you got accepted, you're a winner. Hmm. It's, it's all or nothing in a sense. you know. And it's just a different way of doing things because what I found as a filmmaker myself, sometimes I'd get excited. Hey, my film got accepted into this wonderful film festival. I'd go to the film festival. And then I wouldn't win an award, and I'd feel a little bad, you know. So I wanted to do something where, hey, if you're going to come out and either be at the physical location or go to the website and see your film as listed as part of the festival, you are a winner. You know, you have won an award. You know what I mean? And running the festival, I can kind of do a few things where, say I have two really great, uh, we have a vampire category, we have a canine film category. Say I have two great vampire films and I can't choose between one or the other. As the festival director, I can kind of tweak things, let's say, to make an award that represents both films if I feel that that's a necessary thing. Um, I've kind of tapered that down a bit just out of consideration that it is a competition, not an exhibition. But I've realized, like, uh, you know, it's just an interesting process. But we'd be here talking for five hours if we 
went into the nuts and bolts of running that film festival. But I, I'm very happy that it's it survived COVID. We had a live event. People came out and had a good time. And uh, the entries are open now for Avalonia Festival uh, 6. And if people use the promo code THANKSAF in all caps, the word uh, THANKS and then AF, uh, they get a 17% uh, discount off all their entries. Nice. Nice. Now, is was that... Uh... Uh, was that so? So in your documentary, and I know you've you've relocated. I thought Rhode Island played a decent. Um, you know, you talked about Rhode Island quite a bit. I know you're now in Florida. What uh, was there anything that prompted that? Or yeah, to be honest with you, Jeff, a, a couple of people in my life, uh, people that were pretty close to me, passed away. Quite honestly, mm. and it was kind of a thing where I had to take a gut check of myself. Was I happy in Rhode Island? was I making progress with anything that was important to me? And, and when I say anything, career, personal relationships, happiness, quality of life, um, the answer was no. I just, I just didn't feel that I was accomplishing what I felt capable of. And a lot of people gave me the advice that, oh, you, wherever you go, your problem's gonna be with you. That was always the, the statement. Well, I said, you know what? Maybe my problems will be with me, but this ice and this snow and these potholes <laughs> won't be with me. And I, I do feel that for a lot of people, including myself in this case, hey, I could have lived in uh, New York City, Des Moines, Iowa, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I could have Honolulu, Hawaii. I could have lived anywhere for 25 years and gotten sick of it, too. So it wasn't just a personal thing against Rhode Island. It was just. I don't know if it's particularly healthy for some people, including myself in this case, to live in the same place their whole life. For some people, it might be fine. But for me, the weather was killing me. The grayness, the six or seven month winter. I mean, I'm telling you that the winters were getting longer every year, and they really were. Yeah. And when the when the, when you're looking outside and it's 4.30 at night in December and it's pitch black, I really felt like I was suffering through depression. So. Once those things around me changed, which were basically people passed away, uh, then I no longer felt a connection to Rhode Island that I had to stay there for the rest of my life. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And I'm I'm one of those people. I mentioned to you before. I'm one of those people. I've actually lived in Florida my whole life. Uh, lived in St. Petersburg, Florida. I've never even uh, well, I've left the city, <laughs> but I've never lived right. anywhere outside of the city. And. Uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, just a maybe a comfort thing for me. But again, uh, we we don't have those winters. I mean, I've heard people from up right. north, and a lot of them relocate down here because of those winters. And, uh, well, you went through. Uh, you're a little co colder than I am up there, but uh, you went through a Florida winter. It's not too rough. <laughs> it's not, man. And, and the thing is, like, I like Florida so far, so good. I mean, look, there's there's probably no place in the world that's perfect. Sure. So. The thing is, you know, and I think I made a really strong choice because I moved here like just four or five months before COVID and then COVID kicked in. And But I'm telling you, talking to my friends and my family that's still up north, the the, the difference here is that I will wear my you know, KN95 mask and I will go to a movie theater mm -hmm. or I'll go to a restaurant and I can socially distant and I can wear the mask when I go to the restroom or when I walk around the aisles or whatever. And I feel relatively safe. Nothing's foolproof. Sure. I mean, nothing is foolproof. You, you, you know, your, your mailman could sneeze on you. Who knows? But I feel like having some flexibility is good. And those, those, 
those like for instance, I went to uh, Pennsylvania in October. A friend of mine, uh, Tommy Danucci, got me into a movie that he was directing, The Making the Trick. And Jeff, as I'm driving from Florida through Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, Maryland, Virginia, and finally Pennsylvania, through every state, the restrictions got tighter and tighter, and people got more and more tense. Mm-hmm. And and in October of 2020, the weather then was like about equal to what we're having today in Florida where I'm at. It's like a rainy day and it's a little chilly, but I'm still wearing shorts and a t-shirt. So uh, to me, the vitamin D, the sun, it's been very helpful to me, Jeff. Um, you know, over the last year, even through COVID, I, I rewrote American Luchador. I, um, I put a lot of time into the rewrite. I worked with my friend, Arthur Hugh. We wrote uh, a piece called the, the First Betrayal as a screenplay and a stage play. I took an, I rewrote my script, Also Ran, a, a drama script that I've written uh, about a guy who goes in and comes out of prison. I rewrote that and made that a better script. So my life, uh, my writing, I think, has done well here in Florida. Yeah, well, I, I, I that makes sense to me because even on the... I mean, I, I I talked about in a couple of podcasts ago, I talked about my own dealing with depression and, and stuff like that. And there's a substantial difference when the sun's out. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it doesn't make sense. And you, you can talk yourself into thinking you're well, you're crazy. But uh, there's a substantial difference when it's when it's gloomy out or I mean, I've got the sun shining through my window as you can see from the halo effect on me. <laughs> right, right. Have you, have you, um, I have a three pronged thing for, for fighting depression, Jeff, I'll share with you and your listeners. Um, walking, going to the movies and probiotics. And for me, the probiotics mm. that I prefer is kombucha, kombucha tea, uh, which you can get from many different companies and you can get it just about in any grocery store. It's, for the most part, it's got to be refrigerated. Now, you can get probiotic pills that can be held at room temperature, but you can also get probiotics in yogurt, and you can get probiotics in... But I think kombucha is like, boom, it's packed with your probiotics, hmm. and these probiotics help your gut and your system, and when your gut lining is regulated and in good shape, it actually helps your mood. People think of mood as like... What are they thinking? Their mind or something? It really comes down to like, is your system regulated and probiotics with your mood helps tremendously. And then the walking and for me going to movies, uh, other people might have other things, but those are the three things that help me fight depression. Sure. Yeah. A lot, I, I said uh, a lot of times I like to sit down and watch kind of mindless sitcoms because right. it just kind of you know the brain can turn off you know it's and it can be funny but you're still you don't need to you can walk parks and rec without uh mentally straining yourself or you mentioned earlier curb your enthusiasm is by far the best <laughs> not that yeah, that's no, brainless but it's just you can just sit there and enjoy it it's it's candy for the mind because 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 larry david is such a funny guy and um that show is great and hey if people want to get a, a good four minute laugh they can check out Stickman on the Mike Messier YouTube channel. You know, Stickman was my stick figure stand-up comedian animated piece. So that's good for a chuckle. And uh, some of the other th- hey, even the doc, the Disregard the Vampire doc, or my short films, the uh, Thanksgiving, 
Um, that's a funny one. Marriage is Bliss has got some humor. And uh, some of Mike Messier's life rants on YouTube and, and pro wrestling rants, they might be humorous for some people. Depends on your aesthetic. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah. I, I, I try to bring something to the table. And here's the thing, Jeff. You know, I know I'm talking about the YouTube channel quite a bit. People are welcome to subscribe to my channel, but I'm not expecting them to sit through every video. There's some of my videos, like the pro wrestling stuff, that's going to lose 80 to 90% of the people that might subscribe. So skip the pro wrestling stuff and watch Messier Peace Theater. Watch uh, Messier Mantra. I've got a lot of stuff on there that's not wrestling-based, but for the wrestling fans, there's a lot of stuff there, too. Yeah, no, and I think that's good to be. I, I, I tell people, so I, I work... You know, my day job and I'm, I, you know, eight hours a day. I don't, most of the time I have podcasts playing. So I say I can probably get through, you know, six hours of podcasts in a day easily. So, but guess what? Uh, Joe Rogan, I listen to his podcast sometimes, but if I don't care for the guest or I'm not into MMA, just right. move on to the next one. You can do the same thing with my podcast on Spotify. <laughs> just, That's right. Just move on to the next one because I have some that are solo the ones I'm, I'm booking a lot of guests lately and uh, I like these a lot better because I, I kind of set out on this honestly uh, to to uh, to learn and not educate but you know just kind of learn some new things about everything and I think you saw my my YouTube video I I, I tried with the uh, learning a conspiracy theory while while intoxicated and that uh i i I, that that video prompted me to say you know i need to focus on audio only because watching myself for an hour get drunker and drunker i'm like oh my god i can't i can't look at my face anymore (laughs) well jeff i was gonna say man there's so many interesting conspiracy theories on youtube and i i give people the, the one that i think you might find I went down the rabbit hole of celebrity death hoaxers and people that the, the, the idea is that certain figures and there's one about Rush Limbaugh and the, the idea was that Jim Morrison back in you know whatever the year he was for arrested for indecent exposure at the uh, concert the the feds went in swooped in on Jim Morrison slapped him around and said hey we've got to repackage you his death was that he never. Suppose, according to this conspiracy theory, not according to me, Morrison die, uh, did not die. Uh, he just went away for a while and came back like ten years later in the form of Rush Limbaugh. And it sounds it sounds crazy, but the photographs of a of a Jim Morrison just before he died, when Jim was bloated and he was chubby, and his his face starts to look oddly enough like a, a young Rush Limbaugh. And then uh, Rush, I mean, you think about it, they're, not that Jim Morrison was political, but you kind of assumed he was a Democrat, lib- liberal, hippie, you know, you know, whatever. But and you, you look at uh, an aging Jim, right before, and he's supposed to only die at 27, then you look at the young Rush, and there is these weird similarities. And they have other conspiracies about uh, little, was it Joan Renee Ramsey? John Renee, Renee Ramsey. Yep. yep. Uh, there's a whole conspiracy theory that John Benet Ramsey was repackaged as Katy Perry. And um, uh, there, there was one lady that did a video claiming that Marilyn Monroe and uh, Jacqueline Onassis were the same person who was a transgender person. So I'm not saying I believe in any of these conspiracy theories. All I'm saying is that the rabbit hole 
of stuff on YouTube to go down to is oceans and oceans of craziness. Now, yeah. none of those oceans are quite as interesting as my book, Jeff, <laughs> but they're still interesting stuff. No, and, and the conceit, what I was trying to do uh, initially, and uh, maybe eventually I'll, I'll get back to it, but what I was trying to do was get an expert who really, really believed in the conspiracy and uh, then have me intoxicated. And I realized that I'd probably just make them very angry. <laughs> right. So right, a lot right. of people I reached out to, I'm like, yeah, come tell me the earth is flat. And and I'm like, yeah, that there, that might not go well when I remove my filter. <laughs> have you looked into the Paul is dead conspiracy theory? Have you looked into that one, Jeff? Which one? Um, Paul is dead. McCartney from the Beatles. No. Paul is dead. Well, that's one of, that one's been around for a while. Like, the, the Paul is dead. Uh, I, I was able to interview on the Wrestling with the Future podcast, uh, the Sage of Quay, who is Mike Williams, the expert on Paul is dead uh, conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy theory that the original uh, Paul McCartney from the Beatles was killed in a car accident, which was actually reported in a newspaper at the time, and that he was replaced by someone that he, being the original Paul, hand-selected. Because the original Paul, this theory goes, was having premonitions about his own death, and he didn't want the Beatles to, to stop if he died. So he picked out a guy whose name was William Shears, or William Campbell, as his replacement in the event of my early demise. And there's a book about it on Amazon. Once again, not quite as good as my book, but there is a book on Amazon that's that's pretty interesting. And the audio version is read by George Martin's son. And George Martin, of course, was the producer of the Beatles. So there you go. Interesting. I'll have to. I can't. I, yeah. Yeah. The, the, so I'll, I'll have to. That's not really a, a section of conspiracy I've looked much into, but uh, it's kind of fascinating in its own right. Just re replacing people. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's 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 my my buddy um, Joe Jaffo would tell me about that celebrity death hoaxers they would call it, and uh, who's to say what's what, man? I mean, uh, who's to say? I mean, the JFK death. Mm -hmm. the, what's what's the Area Fifty Four? Um, Area Fifty One, yeah. <laughs> Area Fifty One, uh, the Mandela effect. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I, I do a series of Mandela effect videos on my YouTube channel. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that thing but that's been going on for oh. three or four years mandela effect is that people are experiencing that things that are recorded for instance do you remember uh rodney king's famous quote jeff rodney king from the la riots the guy that was beaten up by the cops in 92 do you yeah. remember what he said what I, did he say i don't remember his quote i i know about the incident i was only six when it happened so <laughs> right the, the quote his famous quote, most people remember as being, can't we all just get along? Mm. And if you look at the video now of Rodney King speaking and saying, can't we all just get along? It's no longer recorded as can't we all just get along? It's can we, can we all just get along for the old people and the kids? And the line, can't we all just get along, which was parodied on In Living Color, it was parodied in movies and TV for decades. It's gone. It, now he says, can we? Can we all just get along? There was a, a famous Oscar speech. Sally Field, the actress, said, the way I remember it, you like me. You really, really like me. But if you look at the video of that event now, 
Sally Field says, you like me right now, you all like me. So there's these famous, mostly pop culture things, like the spelling of the Berenstain Bears or the Berenstain Bears, Bears, the books, the kids' books, um, the spelling of Fruit Loops, the cereal. There's all these pop culture things that are not matching up to a lot of people's memories. And uh, they call it the Mandela effect because the, the coin got phrased or the phrase got coined, however it works, because Nelson Mandela, a woman claimed, he died on my birthday, December 5th, I believe 2013. But a woman at the time that he died said, I remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the early 1990s. And it became like a big pop culture moment that all these celebrities were wearing Mandela's prison numbers across their shirt and going on Oprah Winfrey and saying that Nelson Mandela was wrongly imprisoned and died in prison and what a tragedy. And this woman had this very clear memory of that. And suddenly she has seen that Nelson Mandela died after becoming the president of uh, South Africa. So that's what started the, the Mandela effect. And, and I explore that on my YouTube channel. I have a whole Mike Messier Mandela effect a series of videos. But there's other people that have written about it and talked about it for years, you know. I will uh, definitely be doing a deep dive uh, further into your YouTube channel and watching those. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's rabbit hole on top of rabbit hole, man. Yeah, no, that's, that's the uh, blessing and the curse of YouTube. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I I try to make it a point if I'm doing something like conspiracy theories, be like, let's mix in a five minute stand up bit in between to keep right. the mood light. <laughs> yeah, I get you, man. I get you. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm just checking my time here to make sure I don't cut us off like I did last time. We still got about nine minutes. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely, and I'll encourage everyone else to check it out. And, uh, yeah, I, th I think the conspiracy theories are, you know, they're fun because, you know, s there's truth to a lot of them. Well, the other thing is not only is there truth to a lot of them, I'm always impressed by some of these YouTube conspiracy videos, the production values, and the time and the effort these people put into this stuff. Um, especially, like, the celebrity death fakers. And there's one, is, is Bill Hicks... And um, Bill Hicks was a comedian from like the 90s. Mm -hmm. They claim that Bill Hicks and Alex Jones, the right-wing conspiracy guy, are the sure. same guy. And there's a whole thing where they take like the dental records and they're comparing them. Now, once again, Jeff, I don't want people to get distracted. They got to buy my book first before they <laughs> go into the... But I, I, maybe I'll ask you, Jeff, you, you, read, you read the novel and, and is there anything... That struck you. I know that I'm glad that you related to the, the Joe Humble. Was there anything else in the book that you kind of dug, or any any thoughts on on what you experienced reading it? Well, I I, I I'll be careful on this because I could definitely spoil it. But the you had my mind racing down the back end as the possibilities, and I'd seen the documentary, so I thought I'm like I'm pretty sure I know where this is going. But Joe's character got. Uh, really wise to the point where I was was questioning some things about who he was uh, so so it 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 intrigued me almost uh, uh, I don't think this will spoil it and if it if you think it does I'll take it out but almost like you know the movie the devil's advocate yeah I love that movie yeah with, uh... the end of that movie uh, you know it was it was almost like 
that same feeling. Like, I, I think I might know where this is going, but it could be this, possibly. So that's right. really what, what got me, is it was a, a very good cliffhanger. Or, not cliffhanger. Very good uh, suspense build-up at the end. <laughs> that's good. You know, I don't mind the term cliffhanger because the idea was, I want this to be a, a trilogy. And so I haven't written parts two or three yet i have a i have an idea for part two and a very 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 vague idea for part three part of my plan with this jeff and and the reason for me to talk to you and 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 i want to thank that uh was a matchmaker uh podcast the the app so if people are looking to connect it's the uh i'm trying to remember the exact website for that but it was like podcast.com matchmaker or or something like that Um, yes that's how we connected um but I wanted to, this book, you know, modestly priced, the idea is that I want to create my own Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, you know, something of that magnitude. And coming from a spot where, hey, look, Steven Spielberg is not my uncle. And even if he was, I'd want to do this more or less on my own. But the idea is let's give people a taste of this world and the, my writing capabilities and these characters. And if, if there's interest, if this is made into a film, into a stage play, what can we do with it next? You know what I mean? And so I don't mind. The, the term cliffhanger is fine because the the idea is let's get people to that point where they want to see more. Sure. Leave them wanting more because um, kind of like when Han Solo was frozen in Empire Strikes Back as a kid, that just makes you want to see the next one. You know what I mean? Right. Now, I think where things get off the rails sometimes, Jeff, with these billion-dollar franchises is sometimes they just take that horse, they beat it, they shoot it, they kick it. They desecrate it, they eat it, they throw it up, and they, they, they let the dogs get after it. You know, you got to know when to say when. And you can't just take a, a franchise and just squeeze it, squeeze the fan base for all their money. Because you, you can do that, and unfortunately sometimes the fan base, whether it's Star Wars or pro wrestling fans, they don't have discernment. You know, for me, I'm happy to jump off a franchise. If the quality starts going south, I'll find something else to watch. I'm not going to be held... Uh, enslaved to a franchise that doesn't take care of its own project and keep the quality high. So I have a vision of a three-story thing in, in novel form, stage play, and screenplay. And uh, to come in here and talk to you, you're actually the first podcast I've done to talk about the book, Jeff. Um, so congratulations to you. <laughs> and, and I give you credit for watching the doc and reading the book. You did that faster than most of my family and friends did. So thanks, Jeff. I appreciate that. Hey, I, I know that feeling, too. <laughs> Your little brother's going to kill me. He's going to say, why is this guy, why are you reading his book and not mine, man? Jeez. <laughs> right, right. Well, I told him, I'm like, well, I, I get I get what, you know, I don't get the elves and the, the stuff like that. It all confused me. I, I, that was just a, an area that I missed growing up, I, the fantasy stuff. I, I didn't learn a lot of it. But it's funny, you brought up, you know, the uh, the quality retaining. And I, I find, unfortunately, I find that I fall into that trap where I get in, like The Walking Dead. Right. It's like, well, i got to keep watching because I invested so much time in it. Yeah, you, you've been hooked. Right, it's it's not it's gotten actually better, but it was bad for a few years, and uh, you know. Whereas you, you've got Breaking Bad is the television show that ended before it could ever get bad, uh, right? You know, so it's it's tough. I can I can see where the you know the money making yeah. comes in. You can keep milking it for every last penny, but 
my rage against the machine with that, Jeff, is the, the Mike Messier angry wrestling fans. You know, angry wrestling fan. I've done a, literally too many, probably eight, probably five hundred videos, four hundred videos on the topic of why is pro wrestling not as good as it used to be in some form or another. And I talk about the WWE doing their deals with Saudi Arabia, the WWE funding the Trump administration in 2016 in exchange for a political position for Linda McMahon. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've also talked about why are their storylines and their feuds not as good. I had a job interview for the WWE, so I wasn't hired. And so that's been a point of contention for me ever since when I'm watching their product ever since they didn't hire me, and I'm seeing the type of stuff that they're doing on television, I get angry. And not only do I get angry, I get sad because I'm like, my writing that I wrote for these people is better than what they're presenting. So I'm very outspoken and I'm very happy to to talk about why the WWE is not the creative force that they used to be. But at some point, I just got to say to myself, Jeff, I can't be emotionally att- attached to it anymore. I've got to do my own thing. You know, a, a distance from Avalon. Uh, fighter play basketball is a screenplay I've written that's won three or four awards. Trying to push my own stuff of Messier Mantra, Messier Peace Theater, The Nature of the Flame, all the things that I do on MikeMessier.com and the Mike Messier YouTube channel, talking to people like yourself. I have to prosper my own creativity and my own projects because if the WWE doesn't want me, that's their loss and uh, the fans' loss. But that's their sin against humanity, not mine. Amen. Amen. Any, uh, let's, let's make sure we leave all of your plugs here before my audio cuts out uh where you know go ahead give me all of it <laughs> mike, uh thanks jeff and thanks for having me on the show uh mike messier.com uh distance from avalon.com the first word is is distance so just like the book title distance from avalon a-v-a-l-a-v-a-l-o-n of course the book a distance from avalon when the die and the dead reunite is available on amazon and uh, AvaloniaFestival.com is the website. And uh, social media, Mikey Messier, Angry Wrestling Fan, Avalonia Festival on Twitter and, and uh, Instagram. And uh, I just want to thank you, Jeff, for, for talking and, and watching the doc and, and uh, reading the book. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you. It was a pleasure watching the doc, pleasure reading the book. Uh, and uh, I, I expect to talk to you again when the second one comes out, if not before then. <laughs> And Amen. I'll be happy to meet you sometime in in Florida. We're both in Florida now. I, I wouldn't mind meeting up with you and having a St. Augustine. I go to Hazel's Hot Dogs, and if if you want to meet out there, we'll, we'll have a hot dog outside, buddy. Hunt yeah, <laughs> great. Sounds good, man. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. All right. Sure. Thanks, Mike. So that's it. Thanks again to Mike Messier for talking with me. Check out his book. Check out his doc. Check out his YouTube channel. As for me, please like, subscribe, follow, rate, whatever is relevant for your streaming platform. I appreciate you giving me the time. And hey, even if I'm not that good, you can share me with a friend. I won't hate you for it. So... Thanks again for listening. I will see you in another few days. As always, if you want to reach out to me, stjmac at gmail.com or at stjmac on Twitter. You can message me on Facebook. We do have a Facebook group set up now. I would appreciate a like and a follow there as well. So until next time, peace.